I'm just it saying, happens. like, if For the best of us, that's part of living. I've been eating all yeah. the things. I had pizza. Oh. I've basically I had been living off of worm gummies for three days. Me too. Me too. Worm I haven't gummy. seen anything oh naturally made. Rachel Flanagan introduced them to my daughter, and now we <laughs> always have cupboards full of them. Right. What is this episode called again? Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, welcome to the table. We're so thankful that you're here with us during our Behind Closed Doors series, where we've been taking a look at some of the more difficult sides of autism. Tonight, we're going to be talking about self-injury, also known as self-harm, and what those behaviors you know, might look like and why children partake in them. Some of you may not deal with this, which is great, but this will be a great learning thing for if it does happen and under kind of understanding what it kind of can look like. And it can vary a lot to very mild forms of it to very extreme forms of it, you know, with a lot of people kind of sitting right in the middle of that. So seated tonight at the table is Jen. Hi, everyone. Tabitha. Hello. Jamie. Hi. And Rachel. Hey, everybody. And I am Kim McIsaac. Oh, so this is obviously kind of a heavy topic for me personally. I think this is the hardest. And I kind of say this about a lot of autism. <laughs> it's got all the bells and whistles. For me, this is definitely the hardest, the worst side of autism that I have experienced. And a lot of it's hard. Aggression is really hard and eloping is hard and meltdowns are hard. But to me, self-injury is the absolute worst. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It's devastating there's nothing worse than seeing your child hurt themselves and not being able to help them and have them be that level of distress. I think it's important to talk about because I think a lot of us go through it. A lot of our children have gone through it at different times and we want everyone to feel like they're not alone in this. We, I do have some facts that I'm just going to quickly go over. So the statistics are kind of unreliable, I think, in this. I, I read I research a lot of different places and the statistics vary. And I also feel like the statistics probably aren't accurate because it's something that a lot of people don't talk about. It's something a lot of people don't necessarily report. They do say that 50% of people with autism at one time or another have self-injurious behaviors with 20 or 30% having them regularly. So self-injury is not a symptom of autism, although it is strongly associated with it. It is not like in the criteria for autism. A lot of developmental disabilities have the higher incidences of it. Intellectual disability has a pretty high incident of it. Autism does uh, like mood disorders and stuff like that. I did some reading from Kennedy Krieger and the neurologist there said self-injury is a very severe form of behavior that has one of the highest risks of medical injury. These violent episodes can lead to cuts and bruises, dental problems, broken bones, concuss concussions, and detached retinas. Now, obviously, that is the more extreme side of it than it could be slapping, scratching, head, head banging, biting, pinching, even things like PICA is considered self-harm, hair pulling, picking your skin. Those are obviously on the more milder side of that. I didn't actually realize some of those fell under the self-injury, but they do. And it's anything that can kind of cause harm to you is considered those type of behaviors. So there's a lot of things that, you know, can trigger it. Obviously, if you have a hard time communicating, that's a huge trigger for self-injury behavior because the frustration level can get so high. And if somebody cannot get it, and not necessarily nonverbal, but not 
not able to communicate. So verbal people sometimes lose the ability to communicate when they get extremely frustrated. So that's one of the places that you see self-injury. Sometimes it is attention seeking. Sometimes it is due to like their sensory system being off where they could be like so overstimulated or so understimulated that they can do these behaviors. Also, sometimes if somebody's hurt or sick and they can't tell you, um, that's another thing that you want to look at, you know, so someone banging their head could be having severe stomach problems. And it's like they're trying to like detract, detract from the pain in their stomach by hurting another part of their body. And that's like the only way they know how to do that. And also one thing that is very difficult about it is as a parent, a mom, a caregiver, you see your child hurt yourself, your first instinct is going to stop it no matter how that is. But what happens, the child is having these behaviors, you give them whatever it is they want, because you don't want them, you know, cracking their head open, scratching themselves, whatever it may be. And then the child learns like, oh, if I do this again, I will now get this, you know, so it's kind of like a double-edged sword. And they say that also, even if they get super overstimulated, then you take them into a calm environment. Sometimes they will do the behaviors to get into that calm environment. So it's kind of something you have to be aware of and be careful of. Um, a lot of times behavior therapy can help it. They can help teach them like better ways to get those results. So that's just kind of like the gist of it. I think I'll talk first since Alyssa is older and I'm, you know, fine with talking about this stuff. Luckily, we don't have a lot of self-injury anymore. We still do have it time to time. We started out when she was younger. When she was younger, her sensory system was so off that she didn't feel pain. So this was kind of difficult because she used to headbang. And I, I remember having a therapist here and they said, oh, she's just doing that for attention. Just let her do it. And she wouldn't stop, though. Like, she would continually bang her head. She even would bang her head off the entertainment center. It's like you couldn't just let her do it because, like, she wouldn't stop. So it's really hard. We've had incidents of her punching herself in the face. I mean, she's so distressed. She's that distressed that she's, like, literally going to hurt herself. And it almost sounds like when you punch yourself in the face, like, like she's 240 pounds. She punches herself in the face. Like, she's fully punching herself. It's not, like kind of one of those things that like a, a little kid might do when they're just like hitting themselves and no, she's actually punching herself like she has cried and held her head afterwards because it hurts so much from her doing it which I'm thankful that she can feel the pain now because like that a lot of times will stop the behavior she sometimes will do this thing where she will run and jump up and like land on her knees repeatedly and I'm saying she jumps up like four or five feet in the air and just slams on her knees over and over she's done it for a long time I can only imagine that she must have permanent damage in her knees. And we obviously try to stop her immediately from doing it. And she doesn't do that as often. She does it once in a while. And um, I was reading something or saw a video maybe about um, an older autistic person talking about it. And what they said was sometimes everything is coming at you so fast and it's so overwhelming. And that's why they would hit themselves to stop that, that information from coming in because it's almost like they couldn't handle it. So they would hit themselves to stop everything from coming at them, which actually makes a lot of sense because she was doing a lot of this when we were doing the virtual speech therapy and she didn't want to do it anymore. And it was like, she would literally just like hit herself. What I do is probably not the best thing to do. So don't take my advice that I'm just going to share what I do because sometimes it does work with us. So immediately I yell at her if she does it. I know like this is not what you're supposed to do, but this is just what I do. I'm immediately like, no, do not do that. Welcome to do the not table. hurt ourselves. 
Yeah. Well, and a lot of times it works. It almost like jolts her out of that. Like, I don't want to say it's a, not a trance really, but it's almost like she's so distressed that she's not even like hearing or, or, or what's going she's on. She's hyper-focused and, too. I understand that. You're like yeah, breaking so sometimes the this will, in we'll This will jolt her out of it. And it's kind of like a, like, I do not accept this. I do not tolerate this. Obviously. I mean, I can't really a hundred percent stop it, but this is like the vibe I go with. And it works like 50% of the time. Obviously if she's too far gone that may not work and she does do a lot of like dropping to the floor she'll throw herself down I mean sometimes she'll have bruises all over her I have no idea where they come from a lot of times she does what I call the drama drop where she'll drop carefully now like she'll drop on the rug instead of the floor it's very like (laughs) it's deliberate you know that's more of a behavioral thing she's not really hurting herself but sometimes when she loses control and she I mean she's almost 5'8 and she drops in a snap like I don't even know how she does it it's like well how did you go from standing to being on the floor it's really hard because as hard as aggression is it's like somebody can kind of stop them they can hold them you can get them into a room you can get other people away from them when you're hurting yourself it's like how do you stop someone from hitting themselves or biting themselves it's like you can't like take away their body parts you know so it's it's really hard I think it's really hard to stop it like I read some kids it's really, really severe. So ours have kind of fallen in the middle and that's, that's been bad enough. So, and she, she also did the picking a lot of that when she was younger. Thankfully, she kind of doesn't do that as much anymore where she would like pick mosquito bites, cut scabs. She just couldn't stand to have anything like that on her. So she would literally just, she'd literally just pick it. And I mean, a lot of behaviorists will, they'll definitely work with you to like, try to help like because basically what it is is you got to try to find what's triggering the behavior and then kind of come up with a plan to help that so the challenging part is sometimes figuring out what is leading leading to the behavior so that's just kind of like what we have dealt with here and we do still deal with it sometimes but it's not as she has to be really 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 distressed to do that now but it's harder than the sensory systems are off like she used to not feel pain so it's like if you don't feel pain Mm -hmm. there's no there's nothing in your body telling you to stop. So right. I think that that makes it really hard. So anyways, that's just Alyssa's experience with it. What about you, Rachel? It's hard because I will say that Celie's had episodes of self-harm where it almost goes in and out of a trend. And for her, you know, we've talked about eloping. We've talked about, talked about aggression. I would say that those are often her go-tos or kind of the things she struggles with most. So self-harm is extreme when it happens with C, but it isn't always frequent. I will say that for her, as you said, Kimmy, like do as I say, not as I do, I will get in between her and her own body if she's self-harming. And that leads to me being caught into aggression. Like it almost changes what she, like it You can redirect self-harm, but then it turns to you, you know, or the teacher or whatever. But Celie will break glass and begin to scratch with it. She will, so it will go from like aggression to self-harm and back and forth. Like if she's moved to a space that has a non-porous floor, meaning like she's swiping everything and I'm getting her off some carpet, not that we have much here, but like, you know, she's, she's now on like a non-porous floor. She might be banging her head on the floor because she's lying down. She's getting worn out. She's getting more frustrated. And then she'll stop that. And then it'll turn back into aggression either towards the space or to somebody else. But often 
if she has like a, a mosquito bite or a bruise from another thing, like a fall at baseball or, you know, flopping around while she's walking, the sensation of that being different, she will begin to like self-harm on that. So like a, a boo-boo will become like an injury almost because she will like dig, you know, picture something on your forearm. She'll like dig it into the dining table. Like it's like a different sensation than the other sides of the boo-boo. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to say about a boo-boo? I, I gotta call what it is. I'm like stuck in the land of parenting. Everybody's muted. I just call it a boo-boo. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. sorry I, I like laughed. A cat, a cat I laughed. Yeah. I yeah, whatever. Boo-boo sounds accurate. Yeah. Anyways, I, so like there certainly are big behaviors that happen. And when they come, they come with like a lot of danger, like to be flipping from breaking something that re like hits the ground and becomes shards of glass or something sharp, she is sure going to scratch her arm, which is the first thing she can reach when she's got glass in one hand and like arm in the other. It's terrifying. I would rather get her away from the glass, even though she's going to hurt me, like turn her attention and her aggression to me. So that's sort of where we land on things. I mean, it's, I agree that it's terrible. And I know that for me, when we've gone through all of the like functional behavioral analysis and the which is an FBA or the Behavioral Intervention Plan at school, the BIP, all of these things, we have to try and get in front of it. So it's not necessarily like what's causing it. Is it her anxiety? Is it her autism? Is it like short circuiting from FAS? It's like you have to get beyond her getting to that frustration level where that will happen. So if that means we're tying her shoes instead of her finagling the knots, then you better get on the floor, Lady Jane, and tie some shoes, you know? Otherwise it leads to a shit show. And like now we're buying shoes with zippers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like part of her chemistry, but not necessarily her struggle. I stand in solidarity for the parents that have to deal with this. I think another thing I forgot to mention that they say um, it happens with too is when kids or even adults can't fail. Sometimes they do it if they feel numb or they're, they almost want to feel something. So then they do it for that reason too. And in as much as I do that try to hits with Celie for sure, whether she's on a high, high or a low, low, we know that if she's turning towards herself in conjunction with her environment and other people, we're in like a new hashtag new low. And I also want to add in that, although I do kind of jolt her out of it by just kind of being stern about it, it's really important to stay calm. It is very distressing and is very upsetting as a parent to see this, to witness this. It it literally, it's heartbreaking. So it's very hard, I feel like, to stay calm while you're escalated. But like for me, obviously, I have to do it. That's the only thing that I can kind of, how I can kind of get her out of it. And it's just reassuring her and talking to her in a calm voice. Sometimes she's not ready to be hugged or touched in these times. So like sometimes I have to like pull back, even though my instinct is to like want to do that. So I have to kind of follow her lead with that. And then when she allows it, then then I will do it. Because even though it's like she doesn't fully know what she's doing, like she does understand enough to know that like she's out of control. And it's the only time where you're like throw things, break things, like do anything but hurt yourself. Usually the throwing and breaking happen first. So unfortunately. But um yeah, I think it's really important just to like really try to stay calm and collected. And it's really hard though. What about you, Jen? Um For me, I'm the same, I think, as everybody at the table. It is, for me, the hardest thing to witness. It's harder than aggression towards me. It's harder than uh, most things, seeing her hurt herself. I also find that that it comes a lot out of frustration. 
for things, that'll be her go-to if her anxiety is, we were at the um, uh, amusement park. We were having the best time. We stopped for a quick lunch. I offered her, I just offered her something, which I knew she would need, but I offered it and she dug right through, like right through and just like ripped, you know, and it's, it's stuff like that where it's like, oh, just say, I don't want the freaking potatoes, you know? But it's interesting because she went through a heavy period of it, constant. And Chelsea actually said at one point, it feels good for her, that input, that deep pressure, the banging of the head, she's she's getting something from that. So there's also that factor to it. Also, Kim, like you, if it happens, we're at a point now where she understands she understands threats and things being taken away. Okay. I will empty that Amazon cart. <laughs> I will take that iPad away. I'll take your Nintendo Switch. So I can threaten those things now, get her to stop doing something. Does it work long term? No. If she's if she's going to have that moment of, of harming herself, she will. But sometimes she'll do it now to get a reaction out of me. So I'll give it right back by saying I'll take your switch away if you do that one more time. And so then it'll kind of now it's not always like that. Yeah. <laughs> to be clear, but there are moments of it. So yeah. It's it's the intentions are different, right? Because if they're doing it yes. for attention seeking, you can kind of do that because they're not just doing it to get a rise out of me. Yeah. She knows yeah. how much it bothers me. Right. So yeah, it's tough. It's very tough. It's tough that our kids get in that level of distress that they harm themselves. You know, they hurt themselves. They turn on themselves. That's hard. And it takes a long time to get to where you guys are saying you understand that pain or you can make threats. Like I hate to say that, whether it's a sister or whatever it is, it is different once you can make a threat where it, they understand the consequence or whatever, then it is like, it takes a long time. It takes an awful long time to make. Right. But to be clear, if it was this moment of distress, then I yeah. would say nothing. I would say nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly right, not going to threat her switch. It depends on the level of yeah. obviously escalation. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just saying like, she's how old right now that you, you yes. are at this point yes. with self-harm. It's still happening for both of you that it's like yeah. so inspiring as an eight-year-old mom to be seeing you guys. But I'm like, Oh, at what age did that start? Please let me know what number. Yeah. And I think that the ability to communicate at the moment is really one of the things that really spark it, you know, because they get so frustrated. Like I know that like with Alyssa in the speech, it's like, she was clearly telling me she did not want to do it, but I like, you know, you're like, Oh, you just got to let them get through. You just got to let them cry it out. And then once they realize the expectation is still there, then they'll understand that they, they need to do it. But it's like, I had to take a step back and be like, okay, she's kind of trying to communicate with me that she does not want to do this in every way she knows how, I mean, it went from tantruming, to throwing things she broke glass and then ultimately was hurting herself so at the same time I have to as a mom be like okay I need to listen to what she's trying to tell me she does not want to do this it is causing her this much distress I need to like respect that and well that's the thing that Jen said too is like it starts with frustration and it grows to distress like it's really this freight train moving from one stage to another when it escalates to this you know and, and Alyssa does the screaming more, which is dreadful, but like not as bad as self-harming. That's her kind of go-to for like protesting something now, you know, ask anybody in the state of Florida, the Orlando airport, they, they had. A- and this one guy that <laughs> yeah. used to be they a rental car driver, <laughs> he quit. Sometimes waiting it out does not seem like an option. The Mick Isaac madness still affecting MCO. <laughs>
What about you, Jamie? I think we do deal with self-harm. We have since my son was very little, like, and it's just something you, you know, when your kids are little and before you know about autism or in that, even when you do know, it just feels like, where did you get this from? It just is like an innate part of him. That's really hard because he wasn't taught that. Like we're not hurting ourselves in front of him, obviously. And we were not injuring him. And so it's like, just almost like part of him. And I think we deal with all like so many types of ways I've talked about, like, and I will say nothing on the levels of like what you were talking about with like people scratching their retinas out and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm very grateful. Our self-harm has minimized over the years and it's never been to the point where it's like been an injury so bad that we've had to go to the hospital or anything like that for it. But, but we deal with all types. So, you know, sometimes it is as he's getting older, it is attention seeking now some of the times. And we've gotten to the place where like, like Jen was talking about where it's like, we can deal with that in some ways um, where, you know, he's of the mind when he's doing that to get something. And he's knowing that he's clear, more clear minded. And and then that's when you can come through with like the discipline for that or the, Hey, I get what you're trying to do. That's not going to work. Like I can say that to him now a couple years ago, you couldn't, he would be trying to hurt himself in order to get what he wanted. And then he would grow frustrated from that and hurt himself even more. So I think with age that's helped that type, there's also input where he's really revved up or upset or within a meltdown and you can tell that he needs that input and so he goes to harming himself and I mean that's almost harder because you can't there's no getting him out of that without for me physically jumping in and holding on to him and then there's also like the the saddest part for me and like um I mean all this is sad and the hardest part for all of us but now it's kind of that he's a little older, it's become a thing where it's like, he's angry at himself. So he might do something he knows he shouldn't have or, you know, or even like mess up his own idea of what he thought was going to happen in the day, which is like something that leads to meltdowns a lot for us. And he'll get mad at himself. And he'll, I will say the most, uh, like the most, because, you know, with the attention seeking, and sometimes even with the input, it's not quite as like, hard or like, he's holding back a little bit, but I feel like with this, he's like angry at himself. And that's the hardest for me to watch is like him being mad at himself. And we know that he's doing that now that he's, he is speaking more and he has uh, more language, even though it is kind of basic. He also use words, like he'll talk badly about himself, which is just like, not like a physical self-harm. And although that is also part of it, but also hearing that on top of it is really, really hard for me. Um, Again, like that's certainly not a learned thing from us. We never would say the things he says about himself to himself, but like it's like self harm and a that whole makes level. it more painful that it, it's like in innately in their inner dialogue, like yes. instinctually there. And you know, and sometimes it's when so we hear hard. It, that's hard to process. It's so you know, it's very basically. <laughs> My son doesn't know very bad words. We did go through a phase with the oh shit for a while, but. He doesn't know like really big language, but it is like, I'm stupid. I'm bad. Like things like that. And it just, that scares me the most for his future. And then it has revealed to us a lot of like, he is kind of hurting himself sometimes on purpose because he's angry at himself or he feels bad about himself. And we're really working on that. And I'm hoping that now that we know that that 
type of stuff is happening. We're working on that actively just so hopefully he has the tools. I see grows up not to do that, but it's a really scary thing to watch because that could lead to a lot of things as he gets older. And so that's the hardest part for me. But when it comes to self-injuring or self-harm that we have all different types, I feel, but still nothing to the degree of like anything major, major. So I don't know, in some ways, I, I mean, I'm really grateful for that, but it also like, any self-injuring is self-injuring. It's self-injuring, but you also don't get like the interventions or the help as much Mm -hmm. when it's not super bad. Mm -hmm. So that's hard too, because we have had help with this and we have had therapists and stuff help us with this. And it's, and I highly recommend that if you, you know, even if you're not into necessarily behavior therapy, but like just talking to someone about how to deal with this stuff, but you're kind of on your own, you have to figure it out. And For us, self-esteem has really been a big part of that because my son is starting to realize he's different. And I think that is weighing on him a lot. And just he loses control of certain parts of himself. And after that, he has regrets from it. And it's really hard to watch that and see that. So yeah, it's hard. The awareness is tough. I said that this morning on something. I said, when there's, I think sometimes there's a blessing in our children not having awareness to some things that when they suddenly sort of have it, Mm -hmm. it's really hard hard for us so I can't imagine how it is for them to have that sort of realization yeah it's funny Jamie that you said how like when you were like oh like where does he learn that because I was also reading that like so a lot of children like neurotypical children also we don't call it obviously we're not calling it self-interest behaviors you know they but they do the things where they throw themselves on the ground maybe like punch the floor a little bit of head banging but they say that in normal development, you would outgrow that by three. And obviously those behaviors, no, not on every kid, because some kids can be pretty intense about it. But the intensity of like, you know, children that, you know, have a developmental delay, have autism, have other underlying things going on. It's obviously more intensified. But it is um, interesting how like they do kind of have that like natural instinct to like, I don't know, flop to the floor. and like. Well, and you think about, I mean, even us as adults, like, I get mad sometimes and I want to throw things like I don't all I oh, mean, yeah. most of the time I'm able sometimes to I do I'm not gonna lie <laughs> but it's a way to like get it's like the input the sensory of like oh I just yeah. want to get that out and so it's well, just sad like, to like look, watch now they have rage out. rooms like now that's a thing yeah. you go to a rage room you it's know true. because it does it makes you just feel that little bit <laughs> makes you feel that especially when you feel so out of control like I I don't do it as often as I used to, but I used to kind of throw things a lot. It was just one of those personalities. <laughs> and it does like make you oh. feel better when, you, when you're feeling out of control with like whatever, whether it's anger or wh- whatever it is, it does make you feel better. But then like that output. Well, it's just like my son, when he's really sad or when he's trying to go to sleep or something, he asks us to squeeze him tight. Like he, mm-hmm. he just feels so much, there's so much sensory that like, I see how it translates, but it's, I mean, it's obviously so hard to watch. And when it's like a high frustration, that's when like, like it used to happen to me a lot when me and Neil used to fight and I would get so frustrated and I would like, you know, throw something and um, I can't imagine not having the ability to like, like, this is me being able to speak and communicate like why I'm upset, why I'm angry. Like, I can't imagine that layer being taken away, but still having those feelings, like how difficult that must be for our children, like without whether they're verbal or not, you know, they can't really communicate those things in that moment of feeling all those feelings. And how many times when you're dealing with something you have anxiety about when it like turns to like bigger and bigger and bigger, 
and you're building to panic and your arms feel tingly and like it goes up into your trunk a little and you just feel like panicked in your core and like I mean there's so many facets to and complex layers to what's firing as Seely enters and flows through fight and flight and deals with all of these things just short circuiting you know I mean there's a lot it's just a lot it's like reasonable in each compartment but then stacked on top of each other it's extreme you know it's a coping mechanisms hard I I believe that a lot of us have said in one way or another that like, you know, for us, our skills worker worked on these things with Seeley. Like she went to ABA. We've done that. Like she still has an FBA in place and a BIP in place. And we talked before this episode, and I'm not sure if it's on this recording that SIB is self-injurious behavior, speaking of all these acronyms. But, you know, we've got as a parent, it makes you feel so vulnerable because when your kid hits themselves, like just to jump back to Jane, it's like you worry that people think that they're learning that. And so for us as Seely's parents, we have it written everywhere, you know, all of these different paper trails to show this behavior exists because it's all tied to the same thing where you could get misunderstood so easily. And it's terrible. Oh, and it's the same On thing. On top also- of what you're dealing with emotionally as the mom. And as that parent, never even you know, crossed my mind with self injury behavior. Actually, and Alyssa well, sometimes her, has bruises that I mean, yeah. they're humongous because she Seely just will grab plows herself through things like a, like a bull. And if, if you look, yeah. it looks like somebody else grabbed her, but she's trying to get it on her arm because she's like grabbing so tight. I mean, listen, the way that my kid needs input and deep pressure is like I could leave, like she wants to be squeezed so tight on her arms when she's struggling she leaves her own marks. Like she will leave bruises. I could leave a mark on my kid for what she needs when she's distressed like that. And so we have to have it written everywhere because it's terrifying. It's another way. Like what if that happens at the target? You know, I just, people misunderstand us. I, I don't know. My advice is behavior therapies and paperwork because it's terrible. It didn't end at three, like development su- suggests in my mills. <laughs> I'll say yeah. that. What about you, Tabs? Yeah, I agree with everybody that it's the hardest thing to deal with, I would say. We have dealt with this in different capacities throughout the years, and it is always linked to several things, like everyone has said. Communication, I think, is number one, always. And it shows up in different ways. I think when our kids can't communicate something that's bothering them emotionally, And my kids are different. So for Nixon, if something's bothering him emotionally, it's usually like a lull underneath the surface, like something that's happened in his day or, you know, someone hurt his feelings or, you know, he's anxious about something. And in Nora's sake, it's at her age now and just her personality in general, she feels things like deep to her core immediately. There's no like, wick burning (laughs) it's like I'm feeling this in the moment exactly right now so the way that they process things and deal with things are completely different but it does come out in certain ways in this capacity you know and we don't have kind of similar to Jamie where we don't have like the extreme side of things but it could be like a repetitive you know pressure on the arm or you know something like that Um, we went through a phase for a while where it was kind of like mouthing of the arm and stuff like that. And then there's the other side where it's just complete utter frustration, I think, and inability to control their body, needing of input coming from somewhere. 
pressure, just a release of some kind. Also, it can be around a rash or something that's bothering them. Like we had a tough, tough thing early, early on with Nora where she had some, they called it cradles cap, but it was like an eczema on on her scalp. And that was a whole long problem with her hair and all kinds of stuff. So there's been like different phases of it. I will say if it's not the super escalated input frustration level, once both of them got tools to kind of have something where they could communicate, it's reduced dramatically or like it changes or ends. You know what I mean? That's what they say statistically too. It's just giving more tools to communicate usually. Yeah. And really it's like, like in Nixon's sake, like for him, it's, we've never really struggled too fiercely with this with him, but it's figuring out what is underneath that layer that is bothering him with the anxiety or whatever is bothering him. And once we can pinpoint that, if we can, then it usually stops, you know, it's like almost a processing. I feel like, like I take a run to process my feelings, but our kids, you know, use these other things that they're familiar with or that they know. And even now, like Nora recently learned how to say, ouch. And that has like changed the whole landscape of our house. I feel like in a lot of ways, just being able to have one simple word to communicate like what's happening with her body, what's happening with us and the all the big feelings and the sign all done, stuff like that really has helped. But it is so incredibly hard to process. I would agree. I can deal with aggression almost easier than I can with mm-hmm. self-harm. Not easier, but you know, it's all suck but once yes (laughs) but this is like the bucket that is just like you just feel so bad for your your child you just feel so helpless helpless yeah you know you feel so helpless and then it's funny you say that with the aggression because like also i think that sometimes this is just the flip side of aggression like we've had instances where we stop aggression and then it turns into self-harm because Mm -hmm. she's needing to lash out and she's not allowed to lash out and hurt somebody else which we typically frown upon around here Mm -hmm. (laughs) she has like then turned it to herself so like sometimes that can happen you know I feel like it's like they're kind of like different but just also like and really like in our house we've dealt with this in a minor capacity I would say compared to what some people deal with on a regular basis Um, I think when you're dealing with a smaller human too it's easier to like stop them you know yeah yeah. yeah, a four-year-old is a little bit easier to stop than a fourteen-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, just Absolutely. size-wise yeah. and stuff like that. And it and seems the- like it goes in pockets too. I feel like, yeah. um, you know, it's usually like just there. There is a cause. I feel like for this site, like I almost mm-hmm. feel like with aggression, there probably is a cause. But I think with this, it's like almost easier to figure out what the cause is sometimes than what so aggression like more is. Di- more like um, distressing, whatever and direct. is happening as. Yeah, and direct. I think a direct cause Mm -hmm. and effect almost um, sometimes. But like I find a lot of what I was relating to when you were talking to me was the um, ear infections or rashes or mosquito bites. My kids both have significant reaction to mosquito bites. Like all of that is where I feel like we kind of land a lot of the times in this uh, capacity just because it's irritating to them and they don't know how to like process the changes in their body and communicate and um we went through a bad phase with terrible ear infections for Nora 
for a while, um, which was really hard for her. But we didn't know that they were ear infections until it was like, you know, double ear infections both sides because she has such a high pain tolerance that it just got extreme. But anyway, it's tough. It is really, 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 really tough. (laughs) And I think with that too, it's like really as the parents... What is hard? I mean, I'm sure we've all experienced something like the ear infection or something where like the kid is trying to communicate with you. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know for some, especially when they're younger, there might not be no communication and they don't know what else to do with lash out. And then once you figure it out, like, oh, that's why they've been banging on their ear or that's, you know, like, and and all I can think when that happens is like how even more frustrating to them. It's like, I'm trying to tell you and you don't understand it like you just feel so awful when you do figure something out like that Mm -hmm. like when one time when jesse was really little like his shoe was like someone had shoved his shoe on not me and it like jammed his toe a little bit like and he was freaking and he kept kicking his foot kicking his foot and we're like i'm looking all over i'm trying to figure things out and then finally i just took off his shoe after a few minutes and it was fine but like i was like he was just building up and i don't don't even know if it was like hurting him it was just annoying him however it was but you feel so awful when you figure that mm-hmm. stuff out. And obviously now like when they're older, it's bigger things, but it is that communication bit is so hard. And it's so hard as like uh, the parent to think rationally in those moments of like, yeah, what is going on here? But I mean, well, that would be one so of my dumb. biggest, yeah, you feel dumb, but that would be one of my biggest tips is like, even though it's really hard and you're like trying to contain your child or trying to stop it, like really thinking through like, okay, what could it possibly be? And um as immediate as it is, as a reaction that they're self-harming is like, you have to have that immediate reaction back of figuring out what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. I mean, that's not simple. Well, and I it's feel like so we're bad. detectives. Yeah. And I feel bad. The communication for piece for me, I mean, in general, it's really hard, but I, I feel like how I think about this all the time, especially since Nixon's gained a lot of language, especially over the past two years, how hard would it be to not be able to just answer a question of Mm -hmm. why are you feeling sad what did something happen in your day you know like I I'm constantly asking him those type of questions if he's elevated or um, stressed about something and he can't answer that even though he know like there is something bothering him but he can't articulate you know this happened at school and it made me sad period if you ask Celie what's making her sad she'll say hot tears like <laughs> yeah. she'll tell you the experience of it not yeah. the reason for it yeah Nixon's usually his response is I want to be a t-rex <laughs> like me too buddy well but <laughs> Jesse now that he's getting older I he's eight but I call him a little teenager because he's his attitude has been quite teenager <laughs> but sometimes I'll be like what's going you know I'll I'll ask him the same question over and over again. And sometimes he'll be like, he'll like be like, no, 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 or stop. And it's kind of that thing like, shut up, mom. Like that's what he's trying to say. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I'm just making it worse by over trying to figure <laughs> yeah. out what it is. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, oh man, I'm such a mom. But you know, it's like back off, lady. And mm-hmm. and we have learned that a lot with Jesse. I'm sure with all kids. Sometimes they just freaking need space. There are yes. people on them all day. Mm-hmm. And obviously in those high moments, that's not what I'm talking about. But like Sometimes that adds to the buildup and I, mm-hmm. I try not to do that, but I'm kind of, now that we're getting like to the preteen almost, I mean, it's still only eight, almost nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to notice that more like, okay, I need to back off, let him cool down first before we escalate to the, mm-hmm. yes, yes. The self-harm. 
the thing that's like hard to figure out too when you're the parent trying to figure out what just happened one second before this because so often it's the response it's like often her expectation I think one of one mm-hmm. or both of you have said that it's like her expectation of something could not be met it could be the seam of her sock that's hitting her toe that's hitting her shoe that's making her kick like that to get the feeling out but it's really just the way that her foot went in the sock I mean it there's so many different things and so many different expectations. Like there's just so many. Then sometimes you don't even know. They don't even know why they're upset by the end of it. Even if yeah. they are verbal and able to communicate, it's like they're, they've gone through so many like emotions and crying and everything. I mean, I know sometimes Sally can, cause she'll say something like totally like, like random. It's like the kids of the daycare, like the, it's different, but like the, we'll have a kid who's crying and upset and then we'll be like, what's wrong? And they'll be like, mommy, I want mommy. And it's like, no, but that's not what, that's not why you're crying. <laughs> you want mommy as a result of whatever upset you. So it's like, you're trying to now, and this is obviously two and three year olds. It's, it's hard. Like it's, just, it's almost like the same thing where it's like, they can't tell you the step before. And I feel like that's what happens mm-hmm. to a lot of kids. It's like, they can't tell you that baseline of like what initially made them upset because then there's like, it's like these, these steps of like, now there's obviously if they did some self-injury while they hurt themselves or like if they got into trouble, now they're upset that they're in trouble or, you know, like whatever it may be. So then there's all these other things happening, all these other consequences um, to like what's happening. So, you know, if they like push a chair over, or something like that, then it's like, oh no, I knocked over the chair. And they're upset about that. So it's like you lose the initial trigger sometimes. They lose mm-hmm. the initial trigger as mm-hmm. well, where it's like they really can't go back that far to like remember what started. And really, like that, like the head banging specifically is like one of the check boxes or indicators when they're doing your autism evaluation. It's so common, mm-hmm. I, you know. Mm-hmm. And, Like, it really is like a common... The statistics um, about subjects like these behind closed doors topics are so effed. When you look at them, tabs, it's like everybody says 25% unless they absolutely say 60%, unless they're saying 40%. Like, it doesn't... (laughs) We want you to know outside of the statistics or the facts that, like Tab said, it's so common that it's on the questionnaires. And these things are like really hard to find information about and also they are the most isolating like you isolate as a response to this because you don't want to be in the middle of target as your kid is older than that you don't want to put them in a space where you can't get out fast enough to make them safe like you just feel so alone when this is happening in your life and in your home and it's and it's so hard to talk about at levels to all of us at different times yeah it's hard to talk about. I mean, it yeah. really is like you don't want the stigma attached to your child. You don't want, like you're saying in the target rate, you know, like you don't, yeah. you want to be able to mm-hmm. like explain your life to people, but you also don't want all these views of your kids, one incidence affecting how people see them or, you know, like but, their impressions. Yeah. Of I also yeah. think it's, it's a lot like aggression though, too, where people, yeah. it, it's not really explainable. Like when you say to somebody that has a typical child that doesn't, isn't, you know, in, in this sort of realm of this world, mm-hmm that your kid hits themselves, they will often think of a toddler like smacking themselves mm-hmm. or, you know, they don't so really different. understand that it's like this deep wound, you know, that they're purposely inflicting on themselves, you know? So yeah, I think like for me, I, that's why I don't talk about it. I mean, it's just so wild to even talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's and the it thing takes though, that an emotional done... toll, I think on you, yeah. like, I think mm-hmm. it's mentally mm-hmm. 
taxing for you so it's like as much like the aggression it's like after you go through if you go through an afternoon of this like you almost can't talk about it because it's like you barely made it through it you know you barely made it through it you've also probably cried if you didn't do it if you were able to hold it together and stay calm during it you're definitely crying afterwards like it's just Mm -hmm. devastating and it takes so much out of you that it's like what do you say you know what I mean it's just like it's like you almost can't and then you just don't want to even go back into that part of your brain to like rehash it it's like this series is called behind closed doors but it really could be called the ptsd triggers of this survival mode like it's true the hypervigilance makes your muscles tight the i mean all of it this is uh these are the hardest parts without question. And the hardest for our kids. I mean, we, like, really, I will, it's I so will hard that... for our children to bounce back from this, these situations. I mean, how uncomfortable in your own body, you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. think about this all the time with my kids, like, and that is heartbreaking to think about how much inner turmoil they have mm-hmm. to process and deal with you know and that's because... what that's what's so heartbreaking about it I yeah think, you know mm-hmm. well that's, that's like i know... said i mean she was a straight shooter and she just said how much distress that mm-hmm. these kiddos are in that they actually inflict that upon themselves so i i have worked really hard to not react to things and i don't always do a great job no but it's i can literally hear chelsea in my head like mm-hmm. get out of her face it up it's not how she said it by the way she's far more graceful <laughs> than that we've all met Chelsea Cheeseburger mm-hmm. but stop she's not hearing you let her go through like what she's going through she you've got to stop talking to her okay and it's like I, I know like Alyssa will bounce back and she'll be fine and I'm revved for an hour or two days yeah, yeah like you know I'm just like mm-hmm. I, I will say just because we bravely have gone through this episode and and also through this series and also many of our series that are so tough to topic such tough topics there we go um it really takes talking about this stuff to feel so much less alone but also to break the stigma because when it's a question on the questionnaire it should be able to be not just the table for five that you can feel validated like talk to your social workers talk to the therapist explain what's going on if you have a team right now and keep it at the forefront because it happens. It's hard. And there are skills and things that you can develop to stop the span or the intensity or the quantity of times, you know, with work. And it's like Tabitha was just saying, like how much turmoil it is for our children. It's like, when you think about it, like when you get angry or upset about something, we have things that we vent to each other. We scream, we yell, we cry, we swear. Like we have all these things we can do to kind of get it out of our systems. And most of our children don't have that. Even the ch- our children that are verbal do not have the capacity to really like unleash like what's wrong, you know, and what's bothering them in, in a healthy way. Because, well, I mean, I know screaming and swearing isn't so healthy, but you know, it does feel swearing it is does, super healthy. And it, it makes feel me feel good. fantastic. After, <laughs> you know, I think have, swearing is have, the way to go. You know, ways to do it, and then they're stuck with all this, stuck with mm-hmm. all this inside. And I think that's where a lot of you know aggression, self injury, even meltdowns, and stuff like that. It doesn't always have to be that escalated, but like a lot of you know behaviors that they have just come from not being able to like get those emotions out. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine how like I would like literally explode. I think. Well, and I saw this meme that said the the hardest part about parenting is watching your kids struggle with something that you can't fix 
Yeah. You know, which is 100% like the most heartbreaking thing about being a parent in general, Mm -hmm. I think is like watching your kids struggle and not being able to like heal that situation for them Mm -hmm. or change it for them, you know, which is so freaking much of autism. I know. And with our kids, it's like sometimes, especially if you have a child who's like nonverbal and not speaking, it's like you just sometimes you never know. It's like mm-hmm. you just have to like move on to the next thing without really knowing what caused that severe reaction and what caused that severe behavior, like what caused them to be so distressed. And then you sometimes you just can't get to the bottom of it. And that's so hard. Like that's so hard. I'll think about it for days. I, I think about it every which way. I think about like before that anything that in in a lot of times I'd say 50% of the time I can figure it out but like then there's that other 50% of the time where I'm just like left in the dark and I don't know it really that part really bothers me and she's fine and happy and like on to the next thing but I'm like what was it like what why did she Mm -hmm. get upset like that like what did it you know because you can't fix what you don't know yeah or change it for next time you know that's the real thing and what we mean sometimes it's crystal clear (laughs) yeah that's truth (laughs) but yep so guys this is a hard topic it's it's hard to talk about i'm sure it'll be hard for some people to listen to um but we just want you guys to know you're not alone we all we all have these feelings about it and in you know self-doubt even for ourselves and you know heartbreak for our children we want you to know you're not alone in this absolutely thank you everybody for listening have a great day thank you Thanks, everybody. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Big thank you to all of our supporters. If you'd like to become a supporter, please check out the description of this episode. There you can also find episode information. If you enjoy our podcast, we would appreciate if you could rate and review us wherever you listen. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact us, you can at tableforfivepodcast at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again. See you next time. Bye.